Welcome back, everybody. Man, I tell you what, it has been a while since we talked to you, and we greatly apologize for that. But here I am sitting here with my best bud, Chancy, again, on a very hot Texas Sunday. Well, summer's here, isn't it, Brad? Good morning, everyone. I hope y'all are doing well. Like I said, we apologize again. I know it's been several weeks, but uh, we made it. We got back together today, and so we're going to try to, I don't know, kind of follow up where we left off last time. So hopefully your memory's better than ours because we we ended up leaving off last time with a little bit of brush control where we talked about getting rid of mesquite, getting rid of yopon. Well, now what we're going to talk about today might be a little opposite of that. Yes, yes it is. And so I, what are we going to talk about today? There's so many things. There's drought going on. You know, well, we, well, Bob, I guess we should mention that for the people that aren't living here, Chancy. Yeah, it's yes. hot here right now. It's middle of June, towards the end of June now. Been in. 100 degrees plus in central texas for the past two weeks already i guess little to no rainfall anywhere around and uh everything's burning up in a pretty big hurry around yes here, it's so. drying up quick and, and it's statewide too i mean we are actually it's burning up quick right here in central texas but even in northeast texas it's burning up really fast and goodness south texas and i mean west texas just look awful and you know it appears it may even be a big part of the nation this time i think so yeah well i mean just look at those poor guys in california what they're facing right now you know yeah yeah no fireworks this fourth of july no i wouldn't think so we're under a burn ban right now aren't we we gotta be yeah of course you know chancy he's pro wildfire so yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well sometimes this country burned in the summer yeah (laughs) yeah but but that was before we had houses and everything and we don't want nothing burning around our house in our little neck of the woods here for uh fourth of july fireworks are banned for the most part i think i know bell county banned all fireworks and so i'm sure the rest of the counties aren't far behind it's probably a pretty good idea because it is super dry the nighttime temperatures it take we went fishing the other night i've been taking the kids fishing you know a few times a week in the evenings because they like to fish and And it is unbearably hot even after eight o'clock i I mean dude i'm sitting out there wringing wet from sweat i mean sitting there putting fifteen thousand worms on hooks and (laughs) weights on and untangling lines and and taking fish off of hooks and all that working you know uh working like crazy oh yeah and uh there's having time of their life oh yeah that's good that's part of that it's funny you say that i took my little girl to the coast a couple weeks ago my wife and i and took her fishing and you know she goes to rockdale and she knows that i'm a cameron yeoman so uh i took her fishing and she was keeping track of who was winning yeoman or tiger oh was she really so it was like cameron yeoman zero and rockdale tiger already had six or seven fish there is no possible way you let her win chancy well but you can't even have fish because i was like well rockdale (laughs) tiger doesn't realize that cameron yeoman is baiting the fish untangling everything getting the fish off putting the shrimp oh my god ain't that the truth doing (laughs) all all the work <laughs> yeah, yeah so but i yeah the rockdale tiger smoked me uh, <laughs> by the time week. we by the time we got through fishing the other night you couldn't even see me due to a, being under a pot a whole pile of moss oh good yeah good lord and everything yeah. else that was taking off of hooks for the for a thousand time oh i know i wish i had taken a picture of my little girl she's like i got this i can cast that i was like okay well you got it you're on your own well anyway i went back and checked on her a few day, minutes later and that hole is just a bird nest at the end of that thing cork was wrapped around i had to cut it out i couldn't even get it fixed <laughs> so you can imagine yep and fun that, stuff it is fun being a parent yes it is but uh, but like you said there's no wind in the evenings it is just straight up 
unbearable heat. Yeah. I mean it and me and Chance are older than we used to be too. <laughs> I mean it didn't bother me. I mean I don't I guess it was this hot when I was in my twenties probably but yeah. but man it really bothers you now but Well I remember that one year I forget when it was. I might have been ninety six was a bad drought. Ninety six yeah, was, was uh, a bad drought. Uh, and I remember my uncle was putting up turkey barns over there in Buckholtz and uh man I forget uh how many days in a row over a hundred was that summer. It it was unreal. And then when it started raining in August well, it really came, but man, we were bad dry in '96. And we were. That was that was yeah. when I bought my first cows. Actually, I was 16 really? years old that year. Yeah, yeah. we were 16. They were cheap. <laughs> yeah, they I think were. I give like 300 dollars a pair for those first calf cows. I mean, they were dirt cheap back in '96, and nobody wanted them. It was a bad drought, and it man. could be coming again. Yeah, it could be. It you know, I mean, but I mean, the market's still holding strong with all the death losses in the feed yards in Kansas and That's everywhere nuts. else due to the heat and all yeah. too, I guess. But but uh, so the market's holding strong, which is you know unusual. But I think here at our local sale barn, Milam County Livestock Auction, I think they had thirty five hundred head last week or something really? like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, I guess it's beginning to shift. You know, we have customers coming in the feed store, and of course, feeds high. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, the, everything is so ridiculously expensive. You got $5.19 diesel here in town right now. And yeah. so, you know, we have several customers that are just like, man, when you eventually you just got to say enough's enough yeah, and throw your hands later, in the air. You don't get ROI. There's no return on investment at all. It ain't worth it, man. I know. I mean, no matter how much you love Elsa out there in the pasture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes enough's enough and you just got to gotta call it quits. But, but uh, you know, and that's sad to say as high as food prices are already right now. Uh, it's something to be concerned about but so what we talked about last time was brush clearing we talked about getting rid of mesquites we talked about getting rid of yopon and all that stuff mm-hmm. which is which is important for Absolutely. creating an ideal habitat and it also helps water infiltration too that brush like cedar and stuff it eats a lot a lot of water you know it, it doesn't have that much of a root system and that's you know? becoming more and more valuable yeah mm-hmm. and so so i guess what we forgot to mention was that's all applicable but you don't want to do it too close up to a stream. No, and that's what I want to say. So if you got streams on your property and even gullies, you know, it, it rivers, have to stream, be, yeah, creek, a creek, whatever. Yeah, doesn't you know? You got ephemeral streams, intermittent streams, perennial streams. Doesn't matter. Even even a gully. Uh, if you're gonna be clearing brush around it, you don't want to clear directly up to the to the top of the bank. You just don't do. It. They need it helps with erosion, helps with water infiltration, it helps from bank cutting and everything. So I. I wanted to mention that we probably should have brushed on the last last topic but uh so if you are clearing brush leave something um you know even if it's yopon that's all you got to do with it yopon's better than nothing but especially if it's a dry like gully type area now you can go in there and selectively kind of clear and mulch and then plant native grasses but try to maintain what we call a stream buffer along any streams and you know a minimum on small streams 50 foot you know but bigger the bigger the better on those bigger streams you know we'll plant buffers 200 feet you know of hardwoods on both sides and native grasses but it truly 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 helps the ecology of the stream and the functioning of the stream it prevents erosion it prevents sloughing it it just it helps so you got to think about it basically it's supposed to slow down the water flow yes it slows down so when you clear vegetation along stream channels think about it's a drop of water coming down from the sky accelerating at 9.8 meters per second squared actually with gravity there you go physics yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so think about it's gonna hit bare dirt Mm -hmm. you know or bare soil and it's fast and if it's heavy rainfall it's coming fast and it's a whole lot of it and there's no slowing it down it's hitting bare ground a lot of times bare ground is cooked because of the sun so it kind of creates hard pan 
which makes, you know, perfect. That's even worse. Make it for water to run. Usually that water starts running, it starts channelizing, it starts cutting, it starts moving. So we need to like, so what's the function of a stream? If you think about it, what is the primary job of a stream? Yeah, and Chancey proved me wrong with this one because I was totally wrong with my definition of what a stream was. Well, you know, depending on the scientists, the stream ecologists, they say the streams were made, like, well, the reason God made them was to deposit sediment, to move sediment from one location to another one. Fill in low spots. Fill in low spots. And when they get out in the floodplain, they deposit their their load, which is really high nutrients, it's sediment. They that they gathered somewhere in a flood. Yeah, or gathered upstream, and then that gets out in a flood floodplain and it deposit it, and that's why our floodplains are such good dirt yeah, for good farming dirt and grass and yeah, everything for else. Eons, yeah. that flood that stream's been depositing its sediment, and the, you know they've done the science on those stream ecologists. There's a math and there's ratio in it, and it holds true. There's a, and I don't know the details. I'm not a stream ecologist, but I've read up about it a little bit, and. There's uh there's ratios in mathematical formulas and basic physics that's designed in streams and it, it applies to river streams, waterfalls and rocks, to the Mississippi River, to the Little River, to Cannon Snap. You know, they follow those same basic physical principles and it's mathematics and, and, and they function like that. And so they've been able to uh rank streams based on their functionality, how they were supposed to function. Uh, and you know that some of them they they're like this is a degraded stream. You know it's 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 channelizing, it's eroding, it's eating its bank. Like it's naturally, the stream was supposed to work this way. Yeah, it's not functioning properly. But due to due to due to things that have happened over time, and is now starting to to operate in a way that it was not intended yeah, to operate. Yeah, it's just not operating, which like the science said, based on. You know the the measurements that they've taken, and they, like they said, there's a whole bunch of stream measurements they take, and then they divide them like entrenchment ratio, and the top of bank, and the floodplain width, and shelving, and and like I said, there's different types of streams, but they all function, you know, pretty much the same. So removing vegetation along streams just adds to all kinds of problems as far as erosion and bank cutting, and also in sandy land substrate, you remove a lot of vegetation along streams or even in entire watersheds, especially a watershed level, you remove a whole lot. Sometimes those little small streams can't now carry the payload. They can't carry their they weren't designed to to carry that amount of sediment. That amount of sediment that's right coming that's coming into the stream. Yeah, which leads to more problems, you know, so all streams that are functioning naturally, uh, you know, they have what's called root uh, riffles pools and runs they got a little pool of water then they got a riffle you know like where's your gravel bars kind of there, and then it runs and then it'll go to a little pool again and that's kind of the way the stream design that's just mother nature the, the the ecosystem working and that's what water does to a landscape you know when it's functioning properly and it's getting out of its banks it just creates that kind of landscape well erosion is really bad it's carrying too much water it starts cutting down because and then it gets entrenched like a ditch. Right. And it can't get out of its floodplain when it needs to, which makes it, when it's carrying a lot of water again, if it's not, it's cutting even more. It's still cutting. And, and you got to think about the distance that all this water comes from. I mean, it, the, the water comes from everywhere, basically, towards these streams, which uh, I guess at the end of its journey to, yeah, the, flood, to the ocean. Yeah, I mean, basically, they call it the watershed, you know. So, And you have watersheds, and you got sub-watersheds. You know? so, so we're in the Brazos watersheds, a big one. Right. But then you can get a sub-watershed of the Little River. And But so, like you said, a 100-foot buffer, 50-foot buffer zone that you leave intact is good. But if you think about how far all that water comes from, like any little change anywhere 
is going to affect the amount of water that ev- that eventually gets sure. to the rivers and to and the lakes and downstream. To the, yeah, and so I mean, you got things like impervious cover, like in the in the big cities, Huge you know, where problem. all the people are coming to, like all the concrete, which adds more runoff. Concrete it, does not let much water no slow water down very much no yeah there's not percolating in i mean you you've been in the city before and a big heavy rain comes man you can't even drive down the road water's running everywhere that's right you've already imagine if that was dirt you know how bad that would already be washing at that point and so eventually it does get to dirt yeah and just imagine all that water combined together yes you know there's no percolation so that's why a lot of our aquifers are drying up that's why a lot of our springs aren't flowing in the hill country uh, because they're not being recharged because it's all running out. So we've tried to fix these kind of things, you know, and these issues and thinking it was good in the past. And, you know, a lot of times with the best of interest and the best mindset and we think we're doing good, you know, I mean, and we've all done it. You pat yourself on the back, you think you're doing good, but then 60, 70 years down the road, like, oh, man. Well, and so so things that are much, much, much better at allowing groundwater to slow down, I mean, rainwater to slow down and even to filter through the, the soil down to the groundwater, I mean, there are things like your trees. Yeah. And, you know, we've been baling hay recently, and it, like you said, it's super dry. And so I've built coastal fields, I've built native grass fields, and then I must say that the native grass fields have just been amazing to me this year. Yeah, as dry, hot and dry I as mean, it is. You know how the black dirt where we are, the shrinks well soil, how oh, it yeah. cracks. The coastal fields are cracked. There's literally no grass there to bail, even really worth messing with. The grasshoppers love the coastal grass. I mean, they're mowing it down. Then you get to a native grass hay field. Like, not one crack in it that you could even no. find, really. No, I mean, they I guess, don't crack. And but, if you take your knife and you dig down in that soil, it'll be moist in there. And yeah. so explain to us why that is. Well, the biology of the species. Okay, native grass are very similar to uh, an oak tree, you know. So think of it like the tortoise and the hare. So native grasses, they spent the first few years of their life trying to develop a root system, just like an acre. Which is why it's important not to graze them at first if you're going to try to establish native grasses. Yes. And so you can, they've done, I mean, you can look at A&M and Google it. They've done tons and tons of looking at the root depth and how fibrous native grass, like little blue stem. It's like, say a non-grazed little blue stem is six, seven feet tall. Uh, well, it's got just as much biomass in the ground. It's super duper fibrous, and real fine little roots. Very just fine, tons and, of them. And the the vegetation, and it helps water percolate down into that soil. Well, a first off, it's slowing the water up. Yes, like it's not just running right past it no. to the to the to the creek. The biomass itself is going to hold the water back and give it time to go down. Yeah, think of the water drop falling from the sky. It's hitting the top of a native grass first, and then splattering down it. A prob- thing. Yeah. Probably. Or so you yes. got such a big drop hitting yes, the ground to begin with. Just like standing in the woods in a rainstorm. You know, if you've been ever been in a bottom, you know you'll see how even a heavy rain that stuff's just dripping in there yes it's like it's like you're in a rainforest just dripping it's not pounding you to death yes and and good native grasses and i, I guess i should have taken a picture of what it looked like but compared to coastal grass or it's so much more dense and the root system's deeper the root you know, system is two, so much three foot down in the ground yeah super deep and yeah. and the, those root systems slow the water down and also allow the water to run down through those root systems and filter it and, and it holds and filters the moisture. it too and then it gets in our aquifers, and it recharges our aquifers, and uh, you know, it allows spring to flow again, and even streams flow that used to not flow, you know, and especially you know, in the hill country. You'd really be surprised too at the amount of soil that you lose from such a small area. Like, like for instance, uh, Matt sent me and you a video of, of a demonstration where they had like a a tilled oh yeah a tilled little box yes. of soil. They had a, a early on established, I think. 
That they, was a neat video. That was a neat video. Then they had a no-till farm, a no-till ag practice little uh, sample, and then they had a native grass sample, I think. I don't remember what the, all they were, but it's what it did was they had two ways of collecting water. One was on the edge where the run that caught the runoff, what the surface runoff was, and there was another one that caught the water that ran down through the soil profile. And so I have to put that on our Facebook page, Yeah, I that's guess. pretty cool. It was super cool because it, it was simulating a rainfall event up top, which was a relatively heavy rainfall event, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, the plowed-up soils, in, in my mind, I would have thought the water would have just, like, ran right through it. Like, I mean, okay, you got the soft soil. It's going to run straight through it. Okay, but literally probably half the box of soil, along with all the water, was in the runoff was in the runoff spot there very little through the soil profile and then you worked your way down to the no-till wheat field simulation part of it all the water had literally ran down into the into the through the soil profile yeah and hardly any sediment hardly any sediment in it and literally no runoff like it was it was exact opposite of the the tilled soil on the on the beginning up there where they expected the most erosion and the Mm -hmm. the least water infiltration it's quite a, quite fascinating. I'll put that on there. Yeah, no, it, it was a great video, and it, it just what we're talking about. It shows it very, very clear. So you think of that same process on a large scale, on a watershed scale, you know, or a river basin level. Yeah, think it's the same. Think thing. Think about it on true. acres upon acres yeah. of where all this water is coming yeah. from. If you change that up, you know, anywhere's in the system. If you change that, yeah. obviously we can't go plant native grasses in the middle of downtown. No, Austin. no, no. Uh, but but well, like. But, like as far as like like you're talking about, as far away from a stream as you can, or yeah. in places where you're able to, yeah, it's a try good not to till around. You know your streams. Don't plant. You know if you can. A lot of you know it's just we we have to eat and we have to you know. But a lot of our land was cleared. You know, 150 years ago, and there was no stream ecologist really, you know, there was Clement trying to make a living, you know, and so a lot of the land was cleared right up to the bank of the river. Well, and nobody know? probably really at that time knew the effects that it would have on no, it either. You no, don't really think about it. No, you know? they, they were trying to survive. That's yeah, right. They were trying to survive. So, uh, you know, and so, but now we do know, so if you've got streams, and even if you've got degraded streams, you know, you can plant buffers. You can plant buffers around these streams and buffers around your gullies and it not, not, not only does it help you with your stream dynamics it also creates wildlife habitat and also creates corridors you know that little bit of brush especially if you've got improved pasture you know allowing your streams and allowing your gullies to have some form of a buffer strip it helps with erosion creates habitat it's it's a good good thing from a wildlife standpoint and a stream health level especially which our streams are are vital to us you know and i mean we need to take in care many of ways and getting becoming more and more vital yes yes but i guess that's where we wanted to follow up with the brush you know but that leads us into this this the whole stream it, you know and, conversation uh, and this is a neat conversation it really is because if you chance it, but i guess the best place to start with this would be for you to explain to us exactly like the formula for figuring how exactly deep that a stream is supposed to be because this is astonishing now we have a, a river right here outside of town called the little river in central texas it, we have a bridge that leads out of town going over the top of it and if you look at it every year there's more and more of the bank being sloughed off more like, sand in more it. sand becoming it's getting wider and wider and wider yeah. and wider gravel bars are starting to turn into sandbars they are a lot of them yes and so it is it's, it's, it's becoming entrenched is the word i guess that you should use for it it's just cutting deeper and deeper and deeper and yeah. so it makes it harder for the river to get out of its banks yes which is a very bad thing 
Yes. Well, you know, I mean, we don't like floodplains, but, you know, we sh- we know now don't build your houses in floodplains. But, you know, we don't like them during the summertime either if we're farming. But historically and ecologically and the function of it, streams were supposed to flood. They were supposed to. That's how they deposit. When they got too much level, uh, there's a whole science to this, y'all. And I don't know the science real well. I just have taken some classes on it a little bit. But I don't know. Uh, so... Uh, I don't don't know the exact physics and the mathematics of it, but the basis of it is every stream, whether it be the mountain stream or whether it be the Mississippi River, they have what's called an ordinary high water mark, or what they consider a bank full. And this is where the and, stream and where this mark is would really surprise you. Yes, like it's not halfway up the bank of of the Little River over here, where you would think that no. like okay that that would be a high water mark. It's it's relatively if a stream yeah. is healthy. Yeah, so that stream's healthy. You know, it's moving its channel. It's moving back and forth. You know, it gets rain events, and it comes up two or three inches or a foot, and then it goes back down. But this measurement, this bank full measurement, ordinary high water mark, they say, depending on the stream, that it would, you know, it would have one of those events two to three times a year. And it said, and always within one and a half years. Well, because so if even, a stream, even in the West. If a stream in, is not entrenched, it's going to come out pretty easy. Yes, it's going to come out pretty And that's what pretty, it's supposed to do. Yes, because it deposits. It's going to be moving sediment and deposited in that floodplain. So that's why those floodplains are so so things. So that measurement, that bank full width, if you look at it, you can kind of see it's usually where, and it changes for every stream, but the principle's true. Like, say, you look at our streams in Central Texas, and then there's different kinds of streams, y'all, but they all have a bank full, and they all have these measurements. And this Go might ahead. be a difficult image to put together in your head, but you could Google this bank full, yeah, and and you'll see what he's talking about where this mark well, is. Well, if you're a river rat and you grew up and you like to fish on rivers and everything, we all know, okay, so think of, like, you got a cut bank and a deposit bank. That's how rivers function. When they make a turn, they're cutting on one side, and they're depositing gravel, and they're depositing on the other one. Because well, every river's trying to get straight. Yeah, yeah, eventually they're meandering, but, you know, they cut, and they eventually make oxbows but the bank full is a good one is the top of the point bar and if you think of the top of the point bar think of a gravel bar that comes out there right where the vegetation stops and you know it's a slope and then it slopes down to the river that's usually nearly always if it's a point bar so it's the ends like the the end the, the the peninsula that runs out into the curve, mm-hmm. that top of that point bar, basically where the vegetation is, it's usually sand there or some type of deposit, and then it turns to gravel bar, and then it goes. That's usually your ordinary high water mark, which is generally can vary. That water mark depends on how high that is from the surface of the water, from what it normally is. You can also tell them a lot of times, vegetation will tell you a lot, but also the undercutting. If you see a stream that's starting to have undercut banks, just up from that undercut is usually the The ordinary high water mark. And depending how channelized or how functioning or how degraded the stream is, you might can even see uh, undercuts from, from, from years back because if that stream is degrading it keeps cutting down, cutting down, you'll see that stuff because that load on that stream really hasn't changed much, you know it's still in the, it's still draining the same amount of acreage, you know you got a watershed, you know and it's draining that watershed, even small you know, sub-watersheds you, know, you like may be Cal pushing Creek. more water to it due to impervious cover yes, or, you might be pushing or, it. or deforestation yeah. or whatever but pushing more water to it and more sediment because of clearing, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You haven't you haven't increased the the area that it drains, no. but you may have increased. So that's where we're talking. It's important to slow down as much of that water as you can. Yes. And so historically, with that bankful, whatever that level is, you know, and then you measure across the river from the, like one the top of the point bar to the 
point what you would it, consider the ordinary high water mark you measure the depth there and you multiply it by two and two times that so it's basically it's, like pulling a string from yeah, the high water across. mark on one side and put a level on it and make yep. sure you got a straight line across yes. the river from where that grass starts yep yeah or where that mark is where that mark whatever is. you determine it to be and then you measure down to the top of the water and that's how, that's your high water well mark. you measure down yeah that's your and that's well that your high water mark is your mark. I'm on the sorry, end. that would be yeah. the dip. Yeah, that's your dip. But then you take that measurement down and you multiply it by two, and that's what they say is your flood prone. You and basically you should be at the top of the bank or close to it uh, by by that high water mark times yeah, two. Yeah, you should be by the top of the bank or because by, by that, that dip times two. That stream, in order to be functioning perfect, when it gets to carrying a load of water that much, it needs to be getting into its floodplain. If it's not getting into its floodplain. That means that it's entrenched and it can't get out at that level. And so, what happens then? Your trench gets deeper and deeper. It, your, and deeper. your streams get wider and, you and wider, get deeper, shallow. Yes. You, they start filling in with sand. And I just have to say this: my father-in-law's a river rat. Just for example, and you know, he's grown up on the river his entire, entire life. He's fished and he knows that river like the back of his hand. But he told me when he was a little boy, so this would have been in the fifties, that he watched a squirrel go across from one side of the river. To the other side of the river on Little River. He doesn't have a life jacket doing now. No, she, yeah, yeah, or an airplane. <laughs> yeah, you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, so the trees, and so think about that too. The trees, there was canopy, there was shade. So then you start, you, you got a functioning ecosystem. Detritus falling into the water, you know, and the shade don't have the evaporation rate. Shoot, probably half of those trees that that squirrel climbed on are now in, oh, inside gone. the river, washed away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that was in the 50s. So, I mean, there you go. 70 years. Look at that river now. I mean, it's hard to imagine. You well, know? I mean, let's look at what's happened in 70 years. I mean, A, we got, a, you know, like you said, more impervious cover, pushing yeah. more water. We're, you know, we tilled up probably closer to the river banks and that type of thing. But then we got the dams, too. Yeah, and the dams, you know, they come. So what's happening to so many of our dams right now? They're being filled in because that load that's coming, it can't get out. So it's being deposited right at the dam. So they're filling in. Well, a lot some, of our old at, dams at some point, getting somebody, shallower and shallower. Yes, at some point, somebody was walking up the river and saw a beaver dam, and they were like, hold up a second. Yeah. If we take a bunch of dirt and actually dam this up and call it yeah. a lake, well, then we'll have water to to for all the people to drink. Sure. We'll we'll yeah. we'll we'll slow water down from going up the river to to drain land so that we can farm closer to the rivers and mm -hmm. and and all this type of thing, which probably was a great idea at the time. Oh yeah, it was. But we built giant dams. You know, a beaver's dam function ecologically. They yeah. function good because they're almost always at the ordinary high water mark. You know, once right. that river gets up there, you know, they, it goes. And, they got a hard time finding a stick long enough to reach all the way across the bank. Yeah. Down. So like. Generally, as those streams get channelized and stuff, beavers don't build dams in it anymore because the stream's not functioning. They burrow into the holes, you know. And some rivers and streams are too big anyway. But small streams can handle beavers' dams, and beavers can work with them so long as they're not entrenched. And if they're working and getting in their floodplain, and most streams that are able to get in their floodplain have good vegetation around them. They well, just are because if they're not have good vegetation, they start cutting. And so a lot of what has changed was... Used to, you got a big rainfall event. The water come rushing down the, yeah. the river, down the stream, down the creek, whatever. It reached its its yeah. banks, and it went out, and that slowed the water yeah. down. Well, historically, Little River would get out at least twice a year, probably. Once in the spring, once in the fall. So, historically, that was the eco that we changed. That was the hydrology of the river. You know, just got out, and it deposits its banks. Now, you know, it doesn't get out unless... We get a terrible, terrible, terrible flood, and the, they're, the dams, they're letting water out of the dams, and it's raining like crazy. And then you've got these 
cataclysmic flooding events that take place. So, well, and you're and you're so in and another problem with the with the dams is it's really adding to this entrenchment of the rivers because instead of they're constantly you know letting water out of the river or slow yeah. I mean out of the if lake get, into the river or slowing it down you know vice yeah. versa they keep on doing that the river will go up one day and you can talk to anybody fishes on the river yeah. like, oh man we got to catch it while it's going yeah. up well, oh they close the dam man the fish is terrible yeah well you know when they get rain big big bad rain events upstream and it doesn't rain down here they open those dams and then it channelizes down here when historically that stuff should have been in people's floodplains for 50 miles it should have been spread out across flood that would have slowed it all down ripping down the river you know cutting things eroding the bank and then when you get into you know add these when you clear vegetation along the banks you know and then our vertical soils you know and they've been dry because now you know i know one year recently that river got out three times this wasn't too long ago which that was just unheard of for us, but that we were getting bad, terrible floods. A lot of us doing this impervious covers or flooding is getting much, much worse, you know, removing vegetation. But most of the time, you know, we never get it flooded. You know, I mean, I can remember 1991, I think, was one time I remember the river, like, you know, Little River Bridge being sure. solid water under there. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't see that every year. But historically, it would get out there. You know? And that's a good thing. Yeah, it was a good thing. It deposited soil in there. You know, slow the water flow down yep. like it and and instead of all the water rushing down the stream at mm-hmm. one you know at one time it slows it down yeah uh, you got your your trees and stuff all holding it back yep. you know a little bit too so you know i we want to i want to talk about just the functional river so most time rivers before they start getting really degraded it's not one thing you know mother nature and the ecosystem system is very resilient and there's a lot of cogs fitting together like a giant spider web but usually when something starts going bad, it's not one thing. It is a one-two punch and then a kick in the teeth and then maybe a stomp on the back while you're down, you know. So, for example, oh, a uh, couple years ago I went down into Lake Pontchartrain and we were looking at the in the Lake Pontchartrain. Just the history of it alone is amazing. But we went down to Lake Pontchartrain, which used to be like one of the largest freshwater swamps in the world. This is the swamp that built New Orleans, you know. I mean, giant cypress trees, 10-foot diameter. And those cypress tree stumps are still there. You can look on Google Earth and you can see the still dredge lines where they cut uh, cut dredges through the swamp and even to, to float these trees out. And then they skidded. They skidded these uh giant trees out of the swamp you can still see them and this was done in the late 1800s you can still see those dredge those skid marks on google earth it's amazing so you can get in there and look and you can see where they were hauling all these trees out of the swamp and putting them in there so they cut down that swamp and they were saying well you know that's fine The, the 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 swamp will regenerate you know cypress trees regenerate but that forest never regenerated it doesn't you go down there still to this day yeah well the farther north you go, it started to regenerate. But So what I'm saying here is so there's a lot of issues going on. So there's a lot of things going on. Lake Pontchartrain used to be one of the largest freshwater swamps in the world. And so it was fertilized and kept its nutrients to the nutrient flooding from the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. The Mississippi River, before it hit New Orleans on flood events, it would get out of its bank. And if you look at the map of Google Earth, it would get out and flood into Lake Pontchartrain. You know, and, and, and those floodwaters would deposit sediment, and that's how that swamp maintained its fertility. The swamps. Was from the Mississippi River. From the Mississippi River flooded into it, and so... 
right now that whole area we've been trying to you know everybody in the world's been planting cypress trees plant them in there think they do good they go north but there down in that area they don't they call it degraded swamp and it, it they're not it's turning transitioning but so what we did is we can't even though we built new orleans and that wasn't a very good place to build a city new orleans you know what i mean it's below sea level i think but anyway well we had to date so the mississippi river's got dams our levees all over it now because can't have flooding events so guess what when the mississippi river floods really bad it doesn't get out of its bank unless it's Really, really bad. Remember in Katrina, the levees failed. Sure, ever got yeah. out all the flooding and all that rain. Um, but and so that is that's what basically led to. That's, and that's keeping the Mississippi from getting in there and and, and flooding into the Pontchartrain. So now you add to that, we built channels all into that uh, all into that swamp so we could float these trees out well that turned into a drainage ditch too huh that turned into a drainage ditch too but also you think eventually like ponch train is connected to the coast you know the ocean but then we also at this later on in they built a canal that connected like the gulf to the bay and now salt water can get in there and use these other things and uh it's naturally uh the land there is naturally sinking too because they say and the ecologists up there talk about that when the mississippi would flood it it raised the soil you know it because it dropped so yeah, much yeah, sediment yeah in there. yeah so they're calling i think they call it subsidence you know it's sinking it's sinking because it's not being restored and so then now you've got an intrusion of salt water that's coming in there too because we built all this stuff so the salinity even though it's a lot of fresh water because there's stuff still coming down but and hurricanes and stuff like that there's salt water able to penetrate in there probably more than they it used to man you're talking about a one-two punch yeah okay and then hold on it gets better and so then you know so vegetation is a, is a problem you know so then we've also got so the vegetation you want there and everything you want to try to plant trees well we've got a terrible invasive species down there too called the nutria that likes oh, to Lord. eat just about everything that you plant and everything and it's also you know creating uh you know, eating vegetation as well. How, how did it get introduced down there? We brought them in here from South America as thinking it was going to, uh, you know, for the fur market. From what oh, I Oh, that read, was what they were brought yeah, in for? Yeah, because, you know, we were trapping beavers like crazy, you know, people. And I think they brought them in here, you know, because we had trapped a lot of the beavers out back in the market hunting days, you know, and all that stuff. Like, you know, you know. there for a while, there wasn't a whole lot of beavers here in Central Texas. Now they're everywhere, but... I think a lot of them, you know, we're trapped out. So I heard somewhere that they brought them in here for that very market. And I guess they're prolific. And, I mean, just look at the problem now that beavers, I mean, not beavers, but nutrients have in that system. So, yeah, and I think there's several other issues. But those are the kind of issues there. So that swamp's not, not regenerating, you know. So I mean, and, you know, speaking of that, too, isn't there a similar case up in Indiana, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they called that um, the Grand Kankakee Marsh, I think it was, the Grand Kankakee, and basically it was a million acres. I mean, to hear hear them talk about it, that was something to see. Yeah, well, they called it the Everglades of the North. Uh, I think you can, there's a documentary, y'all, on it. it's a, It was like the biggest wetland in, up in the Midwest. I mean, northern. if you look at the old map of it, it was yeah. it took up a good part of Indiana. Well, they said it was, yeah, the whole northern port of it. I think it even bordered Illinois, maybe, just south of Lake Michigan. Um, but it was a million acres, and it was a 250-mile-long wetland or river system that fed all kinds of wetlands and marshes and swamps and wet prairies and everything, and uh, they channelized it, and they made that stream into a 
90 mile. I think, yeah, 90 mile stretch. 250 yeah. miles cut into a 90, into 90 mile straight ditch. Straight ditch, yeah. Yeah, which screwed up the entire ecology. And it basically, now I think that marsh area, there's probably a state park there or something, but it's only 2,000 acres of what was a million. Isn't that something? Yeah. And so I've heard somewhere, Brad, that they estimate when they did that, that it took out of a fifth of the waterfowl and migratory birds. Well, I mean, if you consider taking a 250-mile wetland and put bunching it down to a 90-mile and then take out 90 all, mile ditch. Yeah, and then we cleared it all, too. And then that, too. Yeah, so we took And it was of, being overhunted and being over, yeah, you know, doing, back, it was being, you know, what years was that? The, well, their market hunting was going on in the late 1800s. Like there was no regulations yeah, at all. Yeah, was being overhunted, but then we started realizing, well, hey, we can farm here, too, and drain this thing, you know, because that's why they, ch so it's just crazy, y'all know, the Corps of Engineers and the federal government, years ago, we thought it was a good thing. We need, you know, right after World War II, you know, we got the Marshall Plan, and we wanted to take care of Europe and send them a lot of money and send them food, food. and so we started paying our farmers to straighten Drain, to tile their fields with drain Hey, tile. farm what you can. Drain wetlands. Uh, if it's too wet, then we need a channel light. That these floodplains, that doggone it, you can't farm if the water's getting out two or three times a year. So let's channelize it, cut it, build dams, build dams, channelize it, get it out of that field so we can farm it. And now, you know, we realize looking back, wow, we really screwed up the system, and now our streams aren't functioning. The water's not percolating down they're filling in with sediment and when it's filling in with sediment you know you get these flash floods and it's just a giant mess and like not only that you got turbidity levels soil messes with your muscles because like all the gravel bars and the substrates are now being filled with sand and sediment and it just causes all kinds of problems and so now here it is you're oh now the corps of engineers and the federal government are starting to pay people to plant buffers on the streams you know and try to start protecting stuff so it's kind of you know you know hindsight's always 2020 they say and you know we were trying yeah. to do good and things it is and science things. science yeah. is constantly evolving you know sure. i mean you do what you think is right at the time what you have to do yeah yeah so i mean that whole situation and, and that can be said for a lot of things you know i mean just look at our from our localized area here you know i just have to say like just just in our lifetime brad me and jeff houston you know when we i would in junior high we would go you know he lived over there down gravel road out there towards up by marlowe and you know, me and him in the early 90s, I remember walking down. We would go camp and hog hunt down there, you know, and just, you know, running around, you know, 12-year-old kids, what 12-year-old kids do. But we used to swim in Cannon Snap Creek. We used to swim in Cannon. And I remember even catching Channel Cat in that creek, you know. And now that creek is filled in, you know. You, it just doesn't flow. And I never, it might have stopped flowing and have puddles, but, like, I never, ever remember it being all that sand. I remember swimming in it, being pools and riffles and runs, you know. It's had enough that it had fish in it. Sure. And, and most... now a lot of it, you look at it, you drive across it now, and it's just, it's just not even running most of the time. So that's just in our life. I mean, you think about my... look how big the places were back then, though. Chancy, yeah. too. You know, I mean, you could have, I mean, how big was, like, the Smith Woods back I mean, how many acres was that of just solid brush that slowed water down? Yeah, and, yeah. And allowed things to soak yeah, in. Yeah, there were sloughs all in there. You know, there's all kinds of sloughs and, you know, wetlands and all kinds of stuff in there. But yeah, slowed everything down. So large scale, large scale clearing, you know, especially taking out 
vegetation along streams can be can be bad. Yes. They, well, not not can be. It is bad. Yes, and so you need to leave a buffer there. Yes. And that's a buffers long way to say that. <laughs> yeah, and the bigger good. the buffer, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever's feasible. I mean, you got to do stuff that's ecologically sound, financially, you know, financially, you know, worth something. And uh, and, and get rid of things like cedar trees and things yes. like that, that that use more water than they allow through the ground. I mean, and plant more things like native grasses. Yes, that, if you can work that. It's yeah. an unbelievable, like, oh, what, what is the gentleman's name? And I might need to post that video, too, of the guy in Johnson City. Oh, Bamberger, Mr. Bamberger. Yeah, y'all need to check that out. Mr. Bamberger started with a cedar break that was solid rock. Uh, oh, I don't know. Long story short, he used to own Church's Chicken part of it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then they he- sold that, and, and, and he bought this property out here yeah and uh, it was a solid cedar break and no springs flowed no streams flowed it was just an overgraze like we had talked about cedar break overgraze lots of brush no grass in the limestone in the line yeah out this, in the hill country. Uh, this is a hill country of texas where it's yeah. a lot of limestone that is good for storing water storing groundwater yeah and there's there's some uh you know i think some youtube clips because i know he won like lone star land stewardship and i know he works a lot with parks and wildlife for educational things so there's some stuff out there and he kind of goes into duck uh, detail and even shows like how much root system one of those native grasses has compared to an improved pasture grass and why it's functioning and why now he's got streams flowing and he's got springs flowing well like you said when he started with it there was nothing there was no no streams and i mean just something as simple as he did is things like like taking out cedars and planting native grasses and all of a sudden the streams start to flow again yes yeah I mean, how unbelievable is that? Yeah, just, quite the Just something that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the way that it functioned. And so, you know, and I know we're as our po- population continues to grow, we're going to need to start thinking about this and thinking about it on a Well, he even talked scale. about how what he's doing there in Johnson City is pushing more water towards to Austin. Austin. Yeah, yeah, because it's going. It's, it's not it's running off. It's going where it was designed to go. It's percolating through the soil, going into the aquifer, and, you know, which recharged streams. And so when the aquifer got full, guess what? There's where your springs pop up. And so... So now he's got vegetation, grass cover, wildlife doing good, and even recharging the aquifer. So, you know, think about that on a large scale, on a, on a watershed type scale, with river basin. Because all scale. that water that is now in his little seeps mm-hmm. and streams in it, on his place used to have already been over here past Milam County. Yeah, yeah. You know, up the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it would have already been, or I guess the opposite way. But, yeah. But, uh, uh, but. But it would be all right, it would all be runoff, and you would catch none of it, which would lead to no aquifer recharge, yeah. and 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 so so that's why those those native grasses and things like that for slowing down water and allowing it to soak into the ground and yes. through the soil profile, yes, is very important. Yeah, and because so, water's going to be a big deal, and we need to be well. Thinking. Look at this year. Yeah, it's, it's gonna, rained very little. Yep. And I mean, just something as simple as a little native grass hayfield like compared said, to like an so improved better. Bermuda grass hayfield in the black dirt. I can't say that it would be the same in the sand. No, I, I think that it coastal is Bermuda in the sand. loves the sand, so I don't know if it's be, if it's the same over there. You would know that. I, not yeah, me. I, I think it is. Like the native grass looks good still compared to you know, and a lot of the one the Bermuda fields have been fertilized and haven't been cut yet. They still look good and green. A lot of them don't you know the ones that have really been taken care of they they look good but for example i was digging in the dirt yesterday with my front end loader and i had to, i dug a little bit into the native grass stuff because i needed some dirt but believe it or not it's hot and it's dry as in i dug down eight inches of sand and it was just you know 
roots and all kinds of just mess. I didn't want to, I, I couldn't really do, I needed some workable dirt. So that I, I knew there was clay underneath there. Tell them what you needed workable dirt for, Chance. Oh, <laughs> uh, a swimming pool. Yeah, yeah I needed I, the level of ground for a swimming pool. I got to yeah. do the same thing for my kids about a month ago. But you I, were doing it in the wind. I lucked out. Oh, my father-in-law my, those suckers will, they will catch some wind, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if you, uh, if you need anybody to put your pool up, don't call me or Chance because one, you're one and done on that deal. Ain't nobody wants to do two of those things. Yeah, no, sir. But anyway, I was digging down there, and where that clay was, it was wet enough to make a ball. I couldn't, you know. Whereas where the native grass, where the is native grass, where it's forty yards Bermuda. away in my yard, which is a Bermuda yard, my tractor wouldn't even dig it, you know. I mean, that my father-in-law brought a skid steer over there with tracks, and it was able to manage. But he even had trouble. That ground was like a brick. Brick. Well, Bermuda grass roots itself don't go very deep. I mean, they're more of a grow above ground, grow roots later type of a yeah, plant. Yeah, they don't. It's the, Whereas, it's the like you said, the native grasses are more like a tree where they're shooting roots down yeah. like a mesquite tree well, almost. Yeah, like different kinds of trees, different strategies. So, like, uh, and think about the trees like the size of the acorn or the size of the fruit. So, generally, the larger fruit, the slower growing tree it is at first with the smaller fruit, like a hackberry. Generally shallow rooted. That's right. You know, little tall, small tree. Its strategy is hair to get up, try to get sunlight and go. Whereas the oak tree and the native grass, so more energy. So think that the acorn or even up pecans got a lot of lot of food energy source in there that that cod leading can use. It comes up, it puts two little bitty leaves on, and then the rest of the time it's growing a it's root. Shooting roots. And down. I've grown a lots and lots of oak trees from acorns. And you know, and in one year you only see about this much, but I can pull it up the root up out of the ground or go to plant it and you know it's that root's 12 13 inches deep down there and as big around as your finger you nature know, has a on way a little on small it. tree yeah you would nature never has think. a plan same thing with the native grasses so that's how it helps them percolate and bermuda grass just doesn't have the root system i guess well you don't when you dig into there they just don't have that but so. it's so odd that that the so more roots that it has, bad. the better it is for groundwater. I yeah, mean, it's just it's so so backwards in your head. Yeah, you know, you're and like, yeah, these the things soil. got such roots. I mean, they're bound to be using a ton of water up. Yeah, but well, it actually the, allows water to. When the grass for grass for native grasses. Now, that's not to say for cedar trees. Cedar trees are water eaters. You know, and the cert that those roots are more fibrous. Well, they never go there. dormant. Yeah, they're more sick. But uh, you know, I was. One of the problems with Bamber, you know, he had to get rid of all that cedar. And cedar is generally a symptom of a problem, usually from overgrazing. Once you graze off all the native grasses, guess what grows? Cedar trees. Yeah, cedar trees, especially out there in the West, because a native grass community is pretty resilient. It's a very stable resilience, so long as it's maintained burning or grazing, you know, and you maintain it. Now, it's not very stable if you take those things out of the system, burning, grazing. Um, well, there's one field that we were – Bailing, I was thinking about you the whole time I was bailing it because it was all, it used to be a plowed up field probably 15, 20 years ago, I guess. It was a, it, it was, you know, it was farmed and then all of a sudden it just, just, just got let go, just stopped farming it. Yes, sir. And it is just solid blue stem mm-hmm. and, and, and every kind of native grass that you could think of that has now got established on that place. And is what the oddest thing was, and I put a picture of this on, on the Facebook page was, you could tell where the blue bonnets had been growing at. Uh-huh. The grass was just like was at least two or three inches taller and just this dark, dark green color. Whereas you got off to the edge, you could still see the dead blue bonnets. You know, the old, the old growth is still there. Mm-hmm. And you get off to the edge of that, and I mean, the grass is quite a bit shorter and much, 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 much yellower. Yeah. Well, you can just do what I call the knife test. I mean, you can go out there with your pocket knife and 
go into a native pasture, well-maintained native pasture, and dig down with your knife. You know, like when it's dry right now, you'll have moisture in that native field. You go to a Bermuda grass field, and it gets, you just don't have the moisture in it. it it's amazing. Like and that's just a it. mild uh, description of what's going down even deeper yes. with your groundwater and that type of thing. Yes. So. And so it's something to think about even like with agriculture, with farming and stuff. You know, like, till, yeah. like, like we went to conventional farming with a lot of plowing and stuff, and we do it too. Sure. But, uh, but as it's, as it, uh, we, everybody used to bed up rows, you know, we used to mm-hmm. farm in rows where they created beds. And I'm, I'm sure that did a lot better way of diverting water to a, to a waterway or, or to where it didn't all, the, to where we're now doing mostly flat farming. And water just rushes, you know. Now, it finds why a little... did we change that, Brad? I, I remember that. When we was kids, everybody put stuff in It's rows. just fast and easy. It's fast you, and yeah, easy? Yeah, okay. yeah. Herbicides came along. Oh, I mean, yeah, and we could, yeah, round yeah, up ready. Yeah, yeah. Lots, of different, lots of different things changed. So we've gone to flatland farming. Yeah. Where if that water finds a crack, it's going to yeah. run down it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to go to the lowest channelized. spot. It gets channelized, yeah. And you get washes like it's going out of style. And so now no-till farming is becoming a thing. And 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 strip till farming is becoming a thing, mm-hmm. and you know the conversation I had with you about the you know the native grass roots and how how that slows down water from running off. I mean, it's got me thinking we might shift gears next year to to at least strip till farming. Sure, you leave that residue on top of the ground that slows down water a lot, and it helps with the it's like a mulch. It helps with the heat, you know, and and your it soil the moisture, ground. Soil sure it does. moisture, you know. I mean, you. you Think about mulch around a tree, how much difference it makes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's probably the next best Keeping thing. Keeping it cooler. Yeah. And keep, you know, because that bare ground, and right now it's 103 degrees outside. Well, that's probably 120 or 130 on the ground if you were to put a thermometer. I bet there. it would be. Yeah. You need to go put a thermometer there and just see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably is that hot. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that, but that vegetation creates little mite not even vegetation that thatch from the no-till you know the leftover wheat or oh whatever. yeah the corn stalk it creates wheat straw. a micro habit you know a climate there that's not as hot holds more moisture and also helps with percolation yes and and breaks up the raindrops as they hit the mm-hmm. ground like i mean you'd be amazed the splatter you get whenever yeah. a raindrop hits a, like a and freshly it can still field. be friable under there so you could drill into it it's still friable those one people that do that no-till you know that we do no-till drill wheat and stuff we, mm-hmm. we've switched over to that on the on the wheat on the broadcast planting side of yes, it yes sir well because you just really don't have time to get corn out you know and then plow everything and lose all your moisture and then drill wheat in there sure. you know so so we did invest in no-till drill several several years ago and uh that's the best thing since sliced bread man you catch the you you know you catch it right after a rainfall event where it softens it up just a little bit you go out and you do a lot of no-till drilling of native grasses and stuff oh yeah i plant 100 percent bermuda of native grass i've even no-till bermuda yeah mm-hmm. it works real good it does work yeah. good mm-hmm. you yeah. just it's all about depth you know i've no-till now I, I planted uh i no-till to some of the bermuda in my yard with that drill sure did now, again, it's not the ideal thing for every situation. There's different, you know, applications of different ways of farming and different ways of doing things depending on the situation that you're in or mm-hmm. where you're at, the area that you're at. There's yeah. a different application, you know, for everywhere. But these fields that we have that are washing so bad, 
I think the best thing's going to be to do with those would be at least try strip till with them. If if nothing else, maybe no till on it and yeah. see what a difference that makes. No till, and then also you know vegetative waterways. You know, you don't yeah. see as many as those anymore. But well, we used to have a you lot of what, waterways Chancy? that we would vegetate, and farmers would even hay them. Every but you, now and then, you, know you know what I think was the biggest issue with that that I've seen because we still have some of those old vegetative waterways that were uh-huh. built. 30, 40 years ago, what was the first thing they planted? What was the vegetation that they planted on those waterways? Bermuda grass. Mm-hmm. Coastal Bermuda grass. And so now, as weird as it is, the, the the waterways have gotten so much higher than the field around it. Like the water will get to the edge of that Bermuda grass and then mm-hmm. hook a left or, you know, go go downhill from there instead of getting through the Bermuda grass into the waterway. Well, that's because all the topsoil is being washed away it, or blown away. Well, it is. And yeah. plus, you know, it's all building up inside the water. The waterways build up. And so oh, I guess yeah. you need to go clear those out quite often or something, you know. But but like the like the the now if you don't yeah. maintain those things properly, they do more damage than they do good. Because we'll have washes on both sides of the waterway, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the water should be going into the waterway and draining out. But yeah. but due to buildup of, of, of grass, I guess, because Johnson grass will grow there, different things will grow there, and it'll fall over and freeze and die, mm-hmm. you know, and it builds up t- higher and higher. If you don't maintain it right, well, it gets to be more of a hindrance than anything. Yeah, so. building topsoil, yes. Yeah, and the flat farming has knocked the terraces down. you got to rebuild those quite often, sure. you know, in order to do that. So, you know, I so – I, I'm I'm considering possibly that maybe the strip till or even yeah well I know, I saw them in Southwest Minnesota they did a lot of that strip tilling stuff and it was neat to look at it. and they also did a lot of no till farming too now they still you know I think it's a controversial amongst farmers you know some of them are all about it and some of them just not want to keep traditional because I do well, believe and it doesn't that fit yields, every situation it like it, like me and you could farm in two different parts of the county yeah, and you'd be like you need, Brad you're an idiot that mm-hmm. like I mean it's just fine where I'm at like we don't lose any soil like I got fields that just Fine. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but it depends on your ter- terrain and your topography, you know, and a, a whole bunch of different factors. And I think, I guess, one of the gripes I've heard about people say about the, the no-till is that yields aren't, I've heard that, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard that yields aren't as much as like traditional, conventional farming, but the inputs, you don't have near as much inputs as for, for Well, now with the plow. price of diesel, too, you know, yeah, so, so you, if you could save a, a trip over the field with a plow or something, you yeah, save quite a bit of money. Sure. Sure. I mean, look at. I think my father-in-law said he two hundred and fifty dollars of diesel in his tractor didn't even fill it up. You know, two hundred. No, it's uh, it's yeah. unbelievable right now for yeah, sure. It's crazy. And I mean, so if you hundred twenty-five dollars in my truck won't even fill it up. And you know, that's really a, a price that you don't a cost that you don't never really put into your head. It, no, that, but it's how hitting big you it now. Is. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like even like feeding cows every day. Yes. You know, you you, you don't I'm noticing you, it. It doesn't even hit you in your head. You're like. Like that, it's costing me probably fifty bucks to drive to feed cows every day, you know, and in a couple of different pastures. Yeah, you do that every other day, you know. I mean, that adds up in a big hurry. Where yes. you know you don't really put that together in your head that that's going on, but it is. Well, you do at the end of the month when you're like, "Where is all my money going?" <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it sure does happen. Yeah, it, it's a huge effect. But so the inputs, I've heard that no-till drilling. You know, you don't have those inputs, and so when you look at it, yeah, you might not have this greater yields but you're making more money you're gonna probably need a good sprayer because it's gonna you're gonna have oh a yeah lot you of, gotta have you, a good sprayer. one way you're gonna control yeah. you know the competition yes. and stuff is that way yeah you're gonna have to have and a you gotta have sprayer. a whole different planner you know set up for no-till planning and stuff yeah. and uh and so you do have to have all you know specialized equipment and that type of thing for doing that 
But, uh, but again, you know, like with a strip till machine, the way I've been looking into it is you go through there, pull it through there. It creates a nice little furrow to plant a seed yeah, into. Yeah, just where you're working. Same planter that you've been using, you know, for mm-hmm. the, for, for your conventional farming for years. So, so, uh, uh, again, the more water we can slow down to make run through the soil, the better off we are in all aspects of, of, of everything, really. Sure. Sure. Because as the cities get bigger and we take out more and more pasture land and more and more farmland for, housing or solar or whatever and impervious cover increases these issues are going to be uh, and you can't do nothing much in those impervious cover you know there's not a whole lot to do and rooftops don't help they don't absorb much water either no they don't so so you know like always and back in the old days everybody caught that in their systems they caught it then you know you know in the old days a lot of people were a lot more self-sufficient and self-reliant on themselves, you know, and they 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 utilized the rainwater off of their roof. They had gardens, you know. They made it, usually hand-dug cisterns to catch the water, you know, so they had water. Whereas now, you know, most of the population is living in cities. That's true. Yeah. And becoming more and more. Yes. And so... Well, I, I guess hopefully that covers streams. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but brush. I and said a it's a fascinating street. The science of streams and stream ecology, y'all, is mind blowing to me. It's one of the neatest things that I wish I knew more about. I even wish I'd have went into school to do that after I learned a little bit about it just because it's fascinating. How and there's nothing more work. relaxing either than sitting on the sitting bank on of the a creek, creek or, yeah. or a river bank or Listen something to like green that. Tree frogs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, but I mean, it, but you know, nowadays you got to look down so far when you sit on a river bank and see the bottom of it. That, yeah. Yeah, they're I mean, being terribly entrenched you yeah, know yeah. And a lot of the gravel bars that you know are natural functions of streams and supposed to be there the pools riffles and runs are you know being silted in or being mud you know or is you know sediment that just because it can't get out of banks to drop the sediment elsewhere in the floodplain where it needs to be yeah yeah, it's nature trying to fix itself. I yeah, because a lot of those streams, they try they, they, those streams will try to like if it become terribly entrenched, it'll try to fix itself. You know, it tries to make its own floodplain because as they get wider, the load is still you know coming. So it tries to build like its own little floodplain inside the entrenchment, especially the smaller streams that are entrenched. You and know, you know, like you said, years get out years ago whenever they let the the dam open for such an extended amount of time. You could have had all the, 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 the surface cover you wanted up there on the riverbank, but the way it was undercutting, you know, undercutting the riverbank and eroding the riverbank away from running at a constant level for so long that it wasn't designed to run at. Yeah, it wasn't designed. It should have been out in the floodplain. When, and that's another thing. When it gets out in its floodplain, it slows down. Mm-hmm. It's the floodway, the middle of the river, where is it so bad? And when it can't get out, it's fast and hard, heavy all the time, whereas if it getting out at that two times the width it would be getting out into its floodplain and you know those flood waters aren't moving nearly as fast as those channel waters are. no absolutely yeah. not and dropping lots of good things in the meantime yep for 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 things to grow yeah absolutely but, well i guess that's about it today bud all right well heck yeah brad well i enjoyed it y'all and i know that was a broad scattered topic but <laughs> it was fun to talk about i enjoyed it yeah it's good to get back with you again chancy and it's good talking to all y'all again and and uh, maybe we'll catch this little chance of rain that we have for tomorrow. I hope so. We sure need it. And y'all out there across the state and across the country, if y'all, uh, yeah, hope y'all stay cool and get some rain too. Yes, sir. And hey, it's good talking to all y'all. And uh, and uh, I guess the next time we catch a break, we'll talk to y'all again. Bye, bye, y'all. <laughs>